You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. There's a way to teach God's love that is nothing more than guilt management for the privileged, the powerful, and the propertied. It does nothing more than help help them to silence the, the background noise of their troubled conscience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 370. Our title this week is The Inherent Relationship of Love and Justice. And our lectionary reading is John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So the intended audience for this passage is the developing community of Jesus followers. And the central theme of the passage is is love. And out of all the canonical gospels, John's gospel expresses the highest form of Christology since the writing of the gospel of Mark. And since then, the community developed its ideas about the relationship between Jesus and and Jesus's father, and it's you can see how high it 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 evolved in John one one through three. But in our passage this week, this relationship and and Jesus's relationship with his his followers, they are the models, the model relationships for Jesus followers to emulate in their relationships with one another. Love is one of the central themes of the Gospel of John, and more so than Matthew, more so than Mark and Luke, and even the book of Acts, where the word love, curiously, doesn't even appear once. And that's a topic for another discussion, but Acts is supposed to be how the Gospel was proclaimed to the world in the uh, recent uh, post-ascension days, and, and love doesn't even appear once in the book of Acts. Consider, by contrast, how often love is the focus of John's version of the Jesus story. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the book of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.35, 
The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. John 5.20, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. John 13.34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 16, 27. Know the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. John 17, 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And lastly, John 17, 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You can also cross-reference these with John 10, 17, John 14, 15, and then verses 21 through 23, uh, verse 31 of chapter 14, John 17, 24, and John 21, 15 through 17. John's gospel is just full of this message and emphasis on on love. Each of the synoptic gospels addresses love, but none of them repeats the theme to the degree that we see in John's gospel. And and that's where we we need a little bit of qualification this week. There is a way to teach God's love that is nothing more than guilt management for the privileged, the powerful, and the propertyed. It does nothing more than help the help them to silence the the background noise of their troubled conscience. And I've also found over the years that many Christians who live in an empowered or privileged social location also name John's gospel as their favorite out of the four. And I wonder if there's a connection. This emphasis on love, it, it can, if we're not careful, it can serve the purpose to merely uh, appease our conscience, to silence our conscience. So that we can sleep better at night. There's also another way, though, and I want to be clear on that this week, to teach God's love that could be foundational to our work, to transform our world into a, a just, compassionate, safe home for all those who are vulnerable to harm in the present system. I'm reminded of the words of Dr. Emily M. Towns in uh, the, the short documentary, Journey to Liberation, The Legacy of Women's, Womanist Theology. She says, when you start with an understanding that God loves everyone, everyone, justice isn't very far behind. In 2010, Dr. Cornell West firmly grounded distributive or societal justice work in the soil of universal love when he said that justice is what love looks like in public. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. also relied on his his deep belief in a universal love and, and the connection between that and social justice for the objects of that love. And this is from a tough mind and a tender heart. It's a sermon that is in the book, uh, A Gift of Love, Sermons from Strength to Love and Other Preachings, page nine. Uh, Dr. Dr. King preached, uh, when days grow dark, and these are his words, and nights grow dreary, we can be thankful that our God combines in his nature a creative synthesis of love and justice, which will lead us through life's dark valleys and into sunlit paths of hope and fulfillment. 
Love, remember, that only leaves the privileged in a, a conscience-appeased state. If it only serves to be guilt management or a message of no condemnation so that they can sleep better at night, that isn't a love worth having. If a belief in universal love only serves to achieve privatized, individual, internal well-being, and it doesn't also move us to, to work publicly for justice within our communities, then we should abandon that belief. And the kind of love, that kind of love specifically, we should abandon it immediately. I agree with James Baldwin, who wrote in The Fire Next Time, page 47, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. And the late Thomas Merton also went so far as to equate a theology of love with a theology of resistance and, and revolution. This is uh, his work toward a theology of resistance. It's found in Thomas Merton's Essential Writings, page 121. A theology of love cannot afford to be sentimental. It cannot afford to preach edifying generalities about charity while identifying peace with mere established power and legalized violence against the oppressed. A theology of love cannot be allowed merely to serve the interests of the rich and the powerful, justifying their wars, their violence, and their bombs, while exhorting the poor and underprivileged to practice patience and meekness and long-suffering and to solve their problems, if at all, non-violently. A theology of love may also conceivably turn out to be a theology of revolution. In any case, it is a theology of resistance, a refusal of the evil that reduces a brother or sister to homicidal desperation. And, and I want to offer one word of caution in relation to our passage this week. I have repeatedly said over the past few weeks that John's gospel, it speaks to the myth of redemptive suffering more so than any of the other canonical gospels. And then we find it again right here this week in, in the lectionary reading. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I have written, you can go back to, to uh, the last, I would say all the way back to Easter and even leading up to Easter a little bit, the, the podcast episodes that we've been been uh, uh, producing here. Uh, uh, but repeatedly, I have spoken about the harm that the myth of redemptive suffering does to vulnerable communities. And so, I'm not going to unpack all that whole discussion again here this week. Instead, I want to offer Dr. Katie Cannon's words in the foreword to the 20th anniversary edition of Dolores Williams' Sisters in the Wilderness. This is uh, in the last couple paragraphs of the introduction there, the foreword. She writes, Williams contends that theologians need to think seriously about the real-life consequences of redemptive suffering, God talk that equates the acceptance of pain, misery, and abuse as the way for true believers to live as authentic Christian disciples. Those who spew such false teaching and warped preaching must cease and desist. And as I wrote uh, in the imagery of the Good Shepherd a couple weeks ago, there is a difference between empowered people sacrificing and them teaching disempowered people 
to sacrifice themselves. I want to recommend, if, if these are new thoughts for you, I want to re recommend uh, an, uh, an article, an essay. I'll put a link to it in this week's eSight. But if you just Google Brown and Parker's For God So Love the World question mark, you'll find a PDF of that uh, article and uh, uh it's well worth your time to, to, to go through that. The early church was largely comprised of those who, as Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas often says, didn't even have a wall to have their backs up against. While giving uh, for some people in privileged social locations can hardly be called sacrifice. Think of Jesus in, in Mark uh, uh, 12, where he, he called those who were, who were uh, uh, giving to the temple, the, the wealthy who were giving to the temple uh, there. In, in Mark 12, uh, where he con contrasted their giving to the giving of the widow who gave everything she had. Uh, the, the, the giving of some people in certain social locations, it can hardly be called sacrifice. Teaching disempowered people the myth of redemptive suffering, on the other hand, that can be destructive or even lethal. I I'll close this week with uh, just finishing the statement from Thomas Merton. Again, this is uh, uh, toward a theology of resistance. He goes, Goes on to say, instead of preaching the cross for others and advising them to suffer patiently the violence which we sweetly impose on them with the aid of armies and police, we might conceivably recognize the right of the less fortunate to use force and study more seriously the practice of nonviolence and humane methods on our own part when, as it happens, we possess the most stupendous arsenal of power the world has ever known. So, this week, let's explore ways that understanding God's love can lead us not to private, assured passivity, but to the work of, of remaining in God's love by shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for each and every one of us. Heart group application this week. Share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, contrast some of the ways a message of love can be used to impede our justice work, along with ways a message of love can also be foundational and discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.